Sego and welcome to Resistance Radio. I am John Kane, and um, look, we got uh, something new that happened this week. And uh, although it's it's news, it is uh, a story that I've um, I've talked about on this program and uh, and my podcast uh, several times. So um, it's a bit of an update. So as many of you know, I um, I play a rather significant role in uh, fighting against the use of native mascots in schools um, and, you know, and, and professional teams and the whole bit. But uh, a lot of my concentration over the last several years has been on, um, on, on trying to educate school boards, school administrations, administrative superintendents uh, and the like, as well as some of the people in, the, in these towns um, about the harm. And, and about what Native people, how Native people really feel about this. And, and of course, I express my opinions, but I also um, probably more minimize my personal thoughts on this issue, but really try to bring all of the information from all the nations, all the Native organizations, um, you know, every uh, association, uh, Native association, trade association, um, as well as you know, psychological associations, uh, the New York State um, Association of School Psychologists, you know, all of it. Well, I, I'll cut to the ch to the chase. The school that I went to high school at um, in Cambridge, New York, uh, upstate near Saratoga area, not that uh, not far from that area, Albany, Saratoga area, um, ha has called itself the Indians for years. And I finally went to my hometown, uh, my old hometown, I should say, and. Um, but very politely asked them to change it. And it basically uh, resulted in a two, almost a two-year fight uh, that came to an end on our summer solstice <laughs> on, the, on the 21st of June when uh, a court, because it was actually, this, this issue was actually pushed into the state Supreme Court system um, and the courts basically ruled uh, denied, uh, what did they say? They, they said that uh, the petition by the, uh, the board, the, the, the Board of Education from Cambridge Central School was dismissed and the relief was denied. So that's what happened. Um, that's what happened this week. So let me back up. And, and you know, for those of you who heard this story, uh, you, you'll hear it again. <laughs> I, I want to talk to you about it. I, it's it's important to to realize how these things um, can play out. You, you would think that these things end with a school board vote. Well, that's not always the case, and and that certainly wasn't the case with this small town. Look, the title for the show I say Cambridge loses its appeal, um, and and I meant it in both senses. I mean, the appeal of this little town has significantly been tarnished, and. You know, Cambridge has essentially embarrassed itself on the national stage. I mean, this story has been covered in the in the New York Times, the Washington Post. Uh, it's it's been covered everywhere, and uh, and and Cambridge has has really uh, embarrassed themselves through. And it's not just their school board, and it's not just their their really uh, incompetent um, legal representation, but it's the it's the people because you know I I will concede that the majority of the people in this town of Cambridge uh, really dug in and, and really want to keep calling themselves. And this is a town that is 95 to 98% white. 
So, as is the case in many of these in many of these situations, very very white town. Um, there's a, a real uh, factionalism in the town about the ones who have been there for multiple generations, and the ones who are kind of uh, you know moved there within in the last you know decade or so. Um, and and of course the lines also get get really drawn between what is considered the, the liberals and the conservatives in, in this town. You know, and it's a small rural town. So this is the, the town that I grew up in, that I went to school in, uh, graduated from Cambridge Central School, and when I was in school, I thought Cambridge was fairly progressive. It had a you know it had a pretty strong arts feel to the. Uh, you know, to, to the town, we had a, we had you know a, a significant theater program in the school that was really embraced by the community. You know, and we had all the 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 amenities that a school has: band, chorus, all these things that uh, you know that that support creativity and that that you know that people would would consider liberal, I guess. And we had sports, and you know, and our sports teams weren't great. Our girls were pretty good. But the, the guys' teams, the football team wasn't that great. Baseball team wasn't that great. Basketball team was so-so. I mean, but, you know, we had good athletes, and, and you know, everybody enjoyed themselves. You know, we, we all enjoyed. And I was, you know, I participated in sports, and, and, and I enjoyed myself. I wasn't a great athlete, but uh, I was probably above average. Um, but I, I participated in a, in a lot of the, the, the school functions. I was in student government. I served multiple offices within my uh, with my class, and um, you know, and I and I graduated, I don't know, seventh or eighth in my class, something like that. Um, I was a Regents Scholarship winner, and you know, and you know, National Honor Society, all that stuff. You know, so my experience in school and in Cambridge was was pretty good. I never got the sense that that Cambridge was, you know, would would ever have been labeled as redneck, or. Or frankly, even racist. Uh, you know, I, I never would have done that. I would never characterize it. And I hesitated when I first went back to Cambridge over this issue to do it then. And unfortunately, as this almost two-year battle has ensued, um, you know, I once posted a meme. I said, you know, what's what's more racist than than a uh, the use of a native mascot is the response you get when you tell people it's wrong. And that's what what that's what the experience was. The way some of these white folks just dug in and got angry and hateful and you know and you know threatened people, not just me, but you know other people in the in the town, the school board. I mean, it was it it was ugly. But here's how it played out. So in the summer of 2020, uh, I had already been kicking this idea around. I had already gone to like a class reunion a year or so before that, and talked to some of my classmates and even a few teachers, and I said, yeah, I'm probably going to have to do this. And, yeah, and, and by this, I meant raise the, the mascot issue. And, he, and here's the reason. I have been enlisted easily a dozen times or more um, by schools across the country, you know, in, in various states, you know, from the West Coast to the East Coast, to, and usually by school boards or committees that have been assembled to discuss this issue. And, and, you know, of course, with COVID, um, many of these were, were Zoom, but I traveled, too. I went to, to Maryland. I went to different places um, to, to address school boards. Uh, and, and some, even local, uh, I, I, I broadcast this program from the 
Cattaraugus Territory of the Seneca Nation, which is in western New York. And there's, there was a, a significant dust-up by a school called Lancaster that called themselves the Lancaster Redskins a few years back. And it's, it's a number of years ago. And, and there, again, I was asked by the superintendent and the, the school board to be a part of a, of a native delegation that would explain the situation. So I've always been asked. Well, my phone never rang from Cambridge. I mean, nobody ever called me from Cambridge and said, uh, you know, look, what's your thoughts on this? And keep in mind, over 20 years ago, the New York State Education Department Commissioner, uh, Richard Mills, told schools over 20 years ago, you guys got to get rid of these things. And, and you, you know, look, do it in, in a, pra a practical manner and in a, in a practical time frame. But... All of the evidence is in. 20 years ago, all the evidence is in, and um, it these mascots are, are not viewed as honored, uh, you know, as, as honoring Native people by Native people. They are viewed as disrespectful, misappropriations, and, and mockery. And uh, the evidence suggests that, there, that harm is being done to children by schools having these singularly race-based mascots. And by, and by that, I mean Native people are the only ones used, uh, used for mascots. And no other race, ethnicity, cultural group, you know, uh, religious group, whatever. Nobody else is used this way. I mean, there may have been some others, you know, before, years and years ago. But, you know, as it stands now, I, I think there's still over 2,000 schools in, in, across the country that still have Native mascots. You know, and some of them are Native schools that arguably have the right to do that. But... Most of them are not. Most, you know, the, the overwhelming majority of these schools are white schools, schools with 90-plus percent white people there who just feel like we can call ourselves whatever we want. And, in fact, you know, I'll, I'll talk about how the various steps um, happen when a school is confronted with this. So in the summer of 2020, I started a petition, and uh, it was one of those, I don't know, change.org petitions. Um, so it was an online petition, and I did a physical one as well. Um, the online one was for anybody to sign, you know, anybody who would, you know, that would pull up the, uh, the website. So it wasn't just Cambridge people. But I also did one that was either Cambridge residents or alumni um, or parents of, of students or, or whatever else to sign. And, you know, so I had these two petitions that, that were, were circulated. Uh, and Cambridge knew about it. And I actually got reached out to by a few people. There was a, 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 a group that was forming that they were calling themselves Cambridge for Social Justice. Um, they had reached out, a couple of their members had reached out, and you know, people that I didn't know. Uh, um, I still have friends back in Cambridge. And again, I graduated in 1978, so that's a long freaking time ago. <laughs> so I still have friends back there. But but the folks that really stepped up were were younger people. I mean, and with kids in school, uh, younger than me, I would say. <laughs> anyway, not not all, of them, but many of them. Um, and there were people that were kind of kind of new to me. These were not you know old friends from you know forty years ago or or anything like that. So, um, but they they seem supportive. And you know, look, they they've stepped up on things like you know Pride, you know, you know Pride Month, and. Um, you know, Black Lives Matter, and, and, you know, a bunch of other social justice issues. But when they heard about what I was doing, many of them suggested to me that they thought this was long overdue and they were glad that somebody was doing it and they wanted to help. Now, I got to tell you, when I first planned to do this, 
I expected no help. I, I knew that the, it was going, to, from my experience in other towns, um, how this was going to play out. didn't matter that I was once a favorite son of, of Cambridge, New York. I knew I wasn't going to be for long. Um, so I knew how this was going to play out. So there's a part of me that said, you know what? There's only five people on the school board. I should be able to convince three of those five people to change the, uh, the mascot. And, and that's, to me, that was the standard. I wasn't going to try to convince the town. And I wasn't necessarily going to try to, you know, get all of the board members. But it turns out, out of that, out of that five, four of them seemed pretty receptive to the idea of changing it. But there were also people who were really sensitive to, um, to the community. And sensitive to, and I don't want to just say they're standing in the community, but, but basically how the community felt about this issue. And so they were really concerned about the, uh, the backlash uh, uh, on this. And so while, you know, after I did the petition, I actually went to Cambridge in, I think I went in November, and then I went again in December to attend uh, school board meetings. I tried to get on the agenda in November, and they wouldn't put me on. They, you know, they didn't seem to understand their own rules. They said uh, they weren't sure if I had request, made their request in time, and of course I really did. Um, but they did say that since they have public comment period, that they would allow me to speak in the public comment period um, and actually speak twice if I, if I wanted to deliver a message to, the, to their school board. Um, so I did that, and, and I delivered a pretty, and I've talked about it on this program, so some of you may, may have heard it, but uh, I gave them a pretty detailed view of my experience at Cambridge, why I was asking for it to be, um, to, to be removed, the, this Indian's mascot with their logo and that kind of stuff. I, I made a pretty, um, I, I thought I made a pretty good case for, for removing it. Um, but I only had a few minutes. One of the things I also did in November was I, again, once again, formally requested at that meeting to be on the December agenda. So I was. Now, they also found a pro mascot person to put on the agenda to, to even the scales, I guess. And, um, and that person was, uh, was a guy that I know. I mean, in Cambridge, when I graduated, I was the only, my family was the only Native family there at that time. There had been a Native family there that had left, and, and I was very good friends with them. Um, they had left, and then they came back to the area um, right at, right after, kind of right after graduation, so after 1978. And they stayed there. So, um, and that's where they raised their family. So they didn't live in a Native community. They're, they were Native, but they, um, you know, the, the father was uh, Oneida, and all the kids uh, that were my, my friends were Onondaga. And they lived in Cambridge, which is really Mohawk territory, Mohican territory. It's it, the eastern part of New York State. It's not Oneida or Onondaga territory. We'll just leave it at that. But that's where they decided to live. They decided they, they preferred to live within white communities than to live in Native communities. That's not the path that I took. I'm, today, I'm still bro I'm broadcasting from the Cattaraugus Territory of the Seneca Nation. My wife is Oneida. I live in Native territories, uh, and, I, and I have lived on Native territories through most of my adult life. Um, so, so here, again, uh, a little bit of, you know, the difference between me and the family that is there that has Native ancestry and, you know, whatever, Native blood, if that's the, the word that everybody likes to use. Um, 
so uh, so that's why I was, you know, so they had two native guys basically, you know, at this board meeting, and and of course my delivery was uh, was prepared, it was written. I, I handed him a written copy of what I what I had to say. Um, his he just rattled stuff off. You know, he talked about his grandfather um, being a chief, which he wasn't. He said, talked about his father being a medicine man, which he wasn't. Um, you know, really tried to you know play up the you know how how Indian he he was, um, but you know, but again, so that's that's what the board heard in December, and the decision was made then that they would hold a vote in I think it was in March, that was the decision that was made in December that they would have um, three months whatever how many months weeks that was, but um, to receive more information so. I laid on a bunch of information. Other folks in, in Cambridge who had uh, were coming to support what I was doing also uh, was gathering information from the American Psychological Association, from uh, they were reaching out to other nations like the, the uh, uh, Mohicans. Um, I was getting information from the Haudenosaunee and from Mohawk Territory. Um, yeah, we, we, we inundated them with the reports with the research, with the statements, with the resolutions, all of this stuff that was pretty overwhelming that the opinion had, opinions that have been expressed by Native people and, their, and their, their governments were all condemning of the use of Native mascots. Every child development um, uh, association or, you know, or, expert or uh, um, every psychological association, they all talked about how wrong this, uh, this practice was and the harm that it does, not only to Native kids who have to experience this, but the harm that's actually even done to, you know, you know, to, the, to the white kids because they're being you know, improperly educated. Um, we brought up the fact that the, that the commissioner from 20 years ago had told schools like Cambridge, they needed to change it. All Cambridge did was change their Plains Indian headdress logo that they had for 50 years to another generic, uh, stereotypical, more Woodlands um, image that 20 or 30 other schools up and down the East Coast use. It's all the same logo, just with different colors to it. So that's, um, uh, you know, so... This was the you know the the case that was made, and then for months they received these documents. By the time March rolled around, the board was still getting skittish. Now I also got to bring up there was the board was already getting a lot of backlash because they seemed too supportive to even have this discussion. One of the board members quit. She just felt like she, it was way too much pressure, and she didn't. She felt like she was being you know, um, you know vilified. So she quit. So the board now only had four members to it. Um, and I would say that three of those members were in favor of, um, and, and, and it turns out they were, but uh, you know, I, I kind of knew that three of those board members were in favor of uh, removing the mascot. One was not. And that one did everything she could to slow the process down. So when March came around, she kept insisting there needed to be more dialogue. There needed to be more outreach to the community. Now, look, this is a school. This is about the kids that are in the school. This isn't about people who graduated 
30, 40 years ago or, or, or any other time. This isn't about alumni. They went to school. They, they're not in school now, and it should be about the kids. That's what it should be about. But, uh, nope, this, uh, this one board member, uh, her name is Jessica Zim, um, she was dragging her feet, and she said there, there should be something that we should do. We should do more outreach. So the, uh, then Cambridge decided they were going to spend forty dollars or $50,000 to do healing circles so they could address the feelings that people were having about the idea or the, the, you know, the possibility of losing their, their beloved mascot. So they did these virtual healing circles and, you know, it was called mediation, but it really wasn't. It was, it was, you know, it was, a, you know, one of these exercises in, you know, delving into what, how people, you know, feel about certain things. And, um, and it culminated with um, in-person healing circles at the end of this process that almost broke down into violence. I mean, it was that close. In fact, even one of the, the mediators, one of the, the staff uh, people that were hired by, this, uh, um, by the school, uh, who was native from, um, from Wisconsin, Oneida, um, he felt physically threatened. And, and, I, and apparently he was physically threatened. And the funny thing is they wanted me to go to these things. And, you know, and I attended the ones that were online. But I said, you know what? You probably don't want me sitting in, the, in these circles. I, mean, I, I just felt that my presence there would have been too much. I wasn't afraid of going. In fact, you know, frankly, if I'd have gone, maybe the thing would have turned into the, into the, you know, the chaos that would have demonstrated more about the pro mascot crowd than than the the crowd like myself or the people like myself wanted it gone. But I, I just didn't think that that it was appropriate. So so I didn't go. But I heard about them, <laughs> and it was you know it was a, a wild ride, put it that way. Um, and they spent like almost like I said fifty thousand dollars on this. And nobody's feelings were satisfied. <laughs> Nobody came out of this thing and said, okay, I guess I'd be okay with it. No. So it was, a, it was a complete waste of time, and it dragged it out. So it, it came to a point that the, um, that the board was going to vote um, by June. So when June rolls around, uh, they had a meeting, uh, a board meeting on June 10th, and the board president, uh, with the superintendent, they, they drafted a resolution to um, retire the mascot. Just get rid of it. You know, and, and again, do it over time. Do it, you know, they weren't, they didn't say that it had to, you know, strike all images by, you know, in a month or two months or anything like that. They, you know, they just said, look, as we cycle through uniforms, we'll, we'll make sure it's not on there. We'll, we'll get rid of all of the letterhead stuff. We'll get rid of the, the imagery all over the school and that kind of stuff. Um, so that was the resolution that they had put up on the floor, but they didn't vote on it. And in, in fact, you know, they, um, and in fact, one, a, a board member got seated uh, because there were two, now there was a vacancy and then there was another um, a board seat that was up for election. Uh, although that new board member um, or the old board member had was still there, so one of the, the the two people who were elected got seated for that June for that June um, board meeting. The other uh, one who was elected, and both these guys ran on, on solely a pro mascot uh, platform. Um, so now they had they had essentially a five person board again, where two were pro mascot and three you know were were uh, in favor of retiring it. Uh, so this is in, this is in June. 
But they wouldn't vote on it. And, and the two who were pro-mascot did everything they could to, to disrupt the idea of, of uh, doing a vote. So they decided that they would hold a special board meeting the next week um, and weigh the possibility of, of another uh, resolution, uh, one that would keep the name but change the, change the logo, uh, which kind of defeats the whole purpose. I mean, they would still be the Cambridge Indians just with some other stereotypical image. Um, so they took a week off. They came back, uh, and, and they were going to come back the next week um, with this, you know, they, they still had the original resolution, but they're going to have this new resolution. In that week between, there was a lot of activity. The, the valedictorian for the school had issued a statement in advance of what was going to be the June, I think, June 16th um, um, or 17th, uh, that second uh, board meeting. Um, the New York Association of School Psychologists, um, their um, report you know, basically um, calling for a ban on the use of native mascots. This is the, this again, the New York Association of School Psychologists. I mean, this is the state's trade organization of psychologists that address, you know, schools and students. Um, so they, their statement had come out, which hadn't previously been in the mix because it, you know, again, just, just came. Um, more statements from other, other schools, other, uh, you know, uh, superintendents and principals and board members, more information came, uh, you know, came forward during that week. So when they sat there and had the meeting, they actually read their new resolution, which was the, considered the compromise resolution that was going to include more native education, you know, typical, um, and then um, keep the name, but, but, but change the logo. And it failed. It, it, it did not pass by a three to two, um, margin, it was defeated. So then the board president, uh, the then board president, re, um, uh, you know, put up the, the original resolution, which was to retire. And then and that did pass again by a three to margin that one passed to retire the, um, the, the mascot logo. So that's what happened in June. So July, now the, this new board, uh, member has been seated. One of the uh, board members who voted to retire thing you know, had retired as a board member. And so now the shift had happened and now there was a three to two majority in favor of keeping the mascot. And the first thing they did, the first thing they did was remove the, the board president and put um, the, the original pro mascot board member that Jessica Zim as the, um, as the, the president of the school board. And then their first action as a board after putting their officers in place um, was to rescind the, uh, the resolution from three weeks earlier. Now, in the resolution to retire the mascot, right within the resolution was, was a whole litany of all the stuff that they had received for, the, for, for that 90 days. All of the reports, all of the, you know... Um, the, the statements and resolutions from native uh, governments and native organizations, all of it, it was all in there. So, you know, stuff from, from child development experts and psychologists and, you know, again, referencing not only the old um, request from the, uh, from the 
commissioner of education, the state commissioner of education from 20 years ago, but also the fact that the school had, had passed a, um, what they call a diversity, equity, inclusion a, um, a resolution to begin a, 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 a diversity program. And they said, you know, keeping a native mascot, and, and there was no question that, that it would be inconsistent with any kind of diversity, equity, inclusion program. In fact, the consultant that they hired, I spoke with, and she said, no, you, those two things cannot coexist. You know, so part of developing a diversity, equity, inclusion program is getting rid of the things that, you know, you know that promote stereotypes, which obviously mascots do. So they, they had this whole list of things. But, but on the July meeting, they just, they just rescinded it. And the thing is, I think back in June, they had their lawyer there. And, and in fact, their lawyer helped draft the resolution that failed. And their lawyer was, it was called the Honeywell Firm. And so this lawyer, I don't know what his first name is, but Honeywell, he basically told them at the June meeting that a new board could simply reverse anything the previous board had done. You know, basically just said, yeah, they could, you, you could pass a resolution and then a month later you can just rescind it. He never suggested to them that if you're going to rescind it, uh, rescind a previous resolution, one that was laid out and, and, and spent eight months, you know, gathering information, you know, and, you know, digesting and, and making this determination, then you got to have some reasons. No, he never even mentioned that. So, so this board just, just reversed the ruling and uh, they said, we're, we're, we're keeping the mascot. And they, they basically rescinded the, the retirement resolution. So then what happened is uh, five families in Cambridge uh, who had students or, or kids who, who were school age filed a petition with the New York State Department of Education. The commissioner of the New York State Department of Education, Dr. Betty Rosa, um, was the one who got, got to hear their petitions. And basically, they, they alleged that the board had acted um, in an arbitrary and capricious manner. Um, and, and, and look, they didn't hire a lawyer. These guys just did this on their own. Five, five people, they, they, they put all their information together for this, um, to file this petition with, uh, with NYSED. Um, and, you know, almost immediately, they, they filed this thing. They only had like a month to get it done. So they filed at the beginning of August. But by the end of August, uh, Dr. Rosa, again, the commissioner, issued a stay. And the stay was on, um, was to stop the, the current resolution, which was to use the Indians as a mascot. And basically, she put a stay on, on that use. And um, so essentially... Cambridge didn't have a mascot as of the commissioner's ruling in August. Now, she said there would be a, a final ruling um, that, would be, that would be coming. And, and I think that didn't come till November. So in August, she basically said, no, you can't put your Indians uh, um, uh, logo in again. And she basically said in that stay that they had to follow the, the previous uh, resolution to retire, and they had to, to they had to make you know the proper adjustments to to getting rid of the mascot um, pending her final her, her final uh, um, determination, which came in November. And then in November, she made her final ruling. And her final ruling is is a bit like being a judge. You know, she heard you know 
the uh, this lawyer Honeywell for uh, for the the Cambridge Central School Board provided his you know his, you know his argument and and of course the petitioners had submitted their argument. I even submitted something, but but um, it was essentially rejected because um, they they said the you know an amicus brief would would only be acceptable if the um, the petitioners needed me because they somehow could not raise the issues that I was raising. So, but I, I tried. Um, so this is, this um, commissioner basically served as a judge on this thing. And, and she found that, that the, the board had acted in, in an arbitrary and capricious manner. She said, after laying out a full list of the reasons to retire this, they reversed that with no reasons. They didn't. They didn't make. They didn't do anything to refute any of the information that was tied to the retirement. None of it. No, they didn't. Re, they didn't attempt to refute um, the psychological associations. You know uh, what all the nations have said. They did mention something about this this lunatic group of uh, um, of uh, they call themselves NAGA, the Native American Guardian Association, which is just a bunch of you know um, pretendians. I would like. I would say that serve white people's fight for to keep native mascots. And so they mentioned them, but they're not even a recognized native organization. I mean, they, they are not accredited with anything. So, but that was the only thing, bit of information they threw in there that, you know, to essentially give cause for, for rescinding the retirement resolution. So she said, you, you can't just re reverse a, a a, a well thought out eight month process to get to this place where you make you you hold a vote to retire a mascot, and then you just reverse it with no reasons. He, she said that is arbitrary and capricious. But she also said something else. She said, even without that, even without the flip flop, she said I would still rule in favor of the petitioners because this school board is abusing its discretionary authority. And she cited the 20-year-old call from the, her, her predecessor, Richard Mills, the commissioner, that said, you need to get rid of these things. And you need to do it in a practical manner. You know, take your time. You know, phase out your, your uniforms and stuff like that. I mean, this is what basically, Mills said, look, I don't want to order you to, you know, and give you a deadline. I want, I want local control to do this. He didn't say they had a choice in it, but they had, he wanted local control, meaning the school boards, to do this action, that they would take the action to get rid of the mascot. And, and you know, between somewhere between 100 and maybe even 200 schools, I, I've heard different numbers um, of schools in New York still have native mascots. Many of them dropped their native mascots when, when Mills issued this, uh, you know, his memorandum. Ironically, my friends who lived in Cambridge, moved away and came back to that area, they went to a school in central New York, in uh, a school called Stockbridge Valley, and that school was the Stockbridge, uh, the Stockbridge Indians, <laughs> and they became the Stockbridge you know, Hawks or something like that afterwards. And they never fought the, their school for changing the mascot, but, but they were digging in on, on this, uh, this battle in Cambridge. So, I mean, the, this is where it was left was that, that Cambridge was ordered by the New York State Department of Education, its commissioner, 
to get rid of it. And she said, you got it by July 1st. So this came, order came in November. She said, you have, by, you have till July 1st to get rid of this stuff. Now, she didn't say phase it out. She said, no, you have, you have till July 1st to get rid of it all. And in fact, they had already been dragging the feet. And, the, and this commissioner told the board, don't defy my order. Because I have the authority not only to, to with, withhold funding to your school, but I can remove some of your officers. I can remove some of your administrators, including board members. So she's, she basically said, don't, don't mess with me. <laughs> but her order came, came down in November. And so now the school board had a, a, you know, a, a clock ticking. I think they had like 90 days or something like that to decide if they were going to appeal it. And of course they did. So they filed an appeal with New York State in New York State Supreme Court um, charging that the commissioner acted in an arbitrary and capricious manner and that she had somehow um, violated law. Um, and they also made the argument that Cambridge was singled out in her order. Well, of course they were singled out because it was a, it was, this was a Cambridge fight and, and, and petitioners from Cambridge were arguing what this Cambridge board had done. They weren't necessarily singled out. They were the subject matter of the, of the petition. So, uh, but you know, when she issued her order, she did say other schools should, uh, should take heed to, to her order. Now, that's not the same thing as ordering schools to, uh, you know, to get rid of their mascot. But, but, you know, she had given some interviews and made some public statements. So now Cambridge was going to spend more money. They, now, look, they already had their, the lawyers, you know, on the clock for this thing and everything from drafting the new resolution to, to all of this. I mean, f filing uh, the answer to the petition to, um, to Commissioner Rosa, and now they were going to appeal this to state Supreme Court. So the last count that I heard that, that Cambridge had spent over $60,000 in legal fees, plus the hundred or plus the 50 uh, for their healing circles. So they were over, they, they were already uh, in this thing for over a hundred grand. Uh, in terms of trying to, you know, uh, pander to uh, to the, the the baser elements of their community and and to fight this thing in uh, in state supreme court, well that that petition was filed, um, their appeal was filed, and like I said on the twenty first a uh, couple of days ago, the uh, this judge Sarah McKinty, um, uh, again petition dismissed and relief denied. But, you know, the, the judge was, just like Commissioner Rosa was, very articulate and specific about where she got her ruling from. And they cited other cases and stuff like that. And so did this, so did this judge. By the way, it was the state attorney general, Letitia James, who argued, um, defended essentially Commissioner Rosa on this thing. And, and I saw her brief and what she filed. And, and, you know, she hit all the points. I also saw what, what this Honeywell law firm did. And, and again, it was it was... It was pathetic. It was embarrassingly pathetic. And, and again, that goes for what was submitted to, to Rosa and now what was submitted to, um, to this judge, Sarah McGinty. And, but this judge did the same thing Rosa did. You know, she, she basically said, first of all, it is my, not my place. It's not the place of, of this court to um, essentially decide whether um, Rosa's ruling was right or not. That's not, that's not what was that question. What was that question was, 
did she follow procedure? Did she follow the law? And did she, you know, did she adjudicate this thing properly? And, you know, and this judge said the same thing uh, Rosa said. They didn't make any argument. They made no argument for the reversal. They could not have been more clearly arbitrary and capricious in flipping on, on this thing. They simply changed it because they had some board members, uh, new board members. Board members who ha didn't have eight months of, uh, of exposure to these same documents that the previous board had. So they flipped in a month what the, what the previous board had taken eight months to decide. And this judge said, yes, that is arbitrary and capricious. I, we agree. So basically, this judge was saying, no, Dr. Rosa was not arbitrary and capricious. She was actually dead on in ruling that the school board was arbitrary and capricious. But even this judge said the same thing, basically said that um, the, the, the further ruling that, uh, that Rosa had made about their this board violating the, um, uh, their discretionary authority, you know, and, and again, of course, the, the other cases were cited where, where board, you know, the NYSED had, uh, the New York State Department of Education had done this, and the courts have recognized. It. I mean, the courts have, have, have always supported the authority of the commissioner and, and the Department of Education. I mean, I'm not saying they, they've never, you know, uh, had, had a ruling appealed, but in general, if you make the case, which which Rosa did, and now Letitia James did for Rosa. I mean, it, it wasn't even close. I mean, it was only, I mean, the whole um, ruling only, was only eight or nine pages. It wasn't a lot to read. And, you know, it, it, it kind of dismissed their arguments. Again, the, my, my old friends, the Hanyos, the, uh, the Native people, they said, look, they didn't represent any nations there. They're just Native people who happen to live there. All the nations, even the, including the ones that they claim that they're members of, they spoke out. The Haudenosaunee, the you know the Onondagas, the Mohawks, everybody, the Mohicans, everybody you know was clear. So to have a family that lives in Cambridge saying, "Oh no, I like being the Cambridge Indian," well, but you're only speaking as a resident of the community. Not you're not speaking for Native people. You know, and even my opinion, my opinion by itself didn't have any more weight than theirs. But my opinion was shared with all of this, uh, you know, all of the other information that was, uh, you know, that was provided to this board. So again, in an embarrassing fashion, Cambridge lost not only in their, uh, you know, the petition in front of the, um, the Department of Education, but now in state Supreme Court. Now they could appeal it again. But, you know, one of the things that they also argued for was um, they, they wanted an injunction. They, di they didn't want to, they have dragged their feet and done almost nothing to get rid of any of the, um, the, the mascot imagery and all that stuff. I mean, even some of their letterheads still have it on there. I mean, they, they argued that it was going to cost over $100,000 to get rid of everything. Well, I got to tell you, if your school has $100,000 worth of imagery on everything from the cafeterias, you know, uh, uniforms having the logos on them to your bus drivers and your and your janitors when i was in cambridge janitors were not wearing logos on their uniforms i mean it, it's 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 absurd and and of course they said they they needed to refinish completely refinish their gym floor it says indians on one side of the gym one place on the end of the gym not even the long side the short side of the gym 
so their their argument was was absurd, but they but they dragged their feet. So now that this this ruling has come down, it's going to be interesting to see if well they can't meet the they're not going to meet the deadline. That's you know it's it's next week, <laughs> so they're not going to meet the deadline. Is Rosa going to take an action? I, you know I hope she doesn't take any money away from the school because that's really taking money from the kids, just like taking that hundred thousand dollars, you know, to for healing circles and for this legal fight, or if by some wild hair these guys decide they're going to appeal you know go to the you know the appellate courts or the next you know uh, level of courts which i doubt they will i mean they really got they really got their asses handed to them twice um and of course the, the press beat them up this has become a national story it's been a national embarrassment so when i say that cambridge lost its appeal i don't mean just their their legal appeal i mean the appeal of the community Cambridge was a nice place, but it don't look very nice now, you know. And, and I you know, look—I just saw a post about you know I don't know a dozen or so people that were retiring, various staff members retiring from the school. I mean, look—if Cambridge has to bring in people to work in their school, that might be a harder job to do that now. I mean, I don't know what the uh, the fate of their current school superintendent is. Um, I, I think he was part of the problem, um, and I don't know what's going to – I don't know how long he is for his job there. But I also don't know how well he – what his resume is going to look like going forward. I mean, is anybody going to want to hire this guy who, who really mismanaged this, this whole thing so badly? And what teachers are going to want to teach in a, in a town like Cambridge that, where teachers and staff and board members could be threatened over something like a mascot? No, Cambridge lost its appeal in more ways than one. Like I said, they're not going to make the deadline. So my question is, is, is Dr. Rosa going to do something like remove a board member? You know, I, I would nominate Jessica Zim to be removed. She's the current board president. And she's the one who's, you know, the most responsible. But I'll tell you something else. If I were that board, I'd be suing Honeywell for malpractice. What a terrible... What, what terrible legal counsel this guy provided. And, and, and obviously, you know, litigation skills. I mean, this guy was terrible. And he, he, he told them that, oh, no, I've had success appealing uh, um, NYSED rulings. Well, I don't know how he did. It must have been a technicality because he sure, he, he sure did put a pitiful argument up for, for this. And look, $60,000 isn't a lot in legal fees, which is pro probably an indication of how much effort he really put in this thing. But it's still $60,000. Now, the sad part is, well, or maybe the good part, I don't know, but, but many of these schools have a bit of a, a budget surplus because of COVID funds that came to them. But the idea that they'd be wasted on something like this instead of enhancing the education experience for kids, I mean, and look, it's pretty clear that there's a security issue with many schools too. So rather than bolstering security or enhancing their educational experience, you're going to spend $100,000 fighting an unwinnable fight. Look, I said from the very beginning, it isn't a question of if the mascot will be retired. It was always a question of when. I fight a lot of issues, a lot of battles um, in, you know, as, as a Native person. The mascot is, uh, fight is one of the ones that we're actually winning. I'm not saying we haven't had successes in other places. We have. 
But I think the most clear success that we've had on any issue has been on the mascot issue. And, and part of it is, you know, a constant campaign. Look, we got the Washington football team to change its name. The Cleveland baseball team to change its name. <laughs> that happened in the midst of what was happening with Cambridge. And Cambridge still wouldn't change its name. As I'm wearing, uh, for those of you who are watching me on Facebook live stream, um, I'm wearing my Caucasians t-shirt, which is basically mocking or parody, uh, make, making a parody, I guess, of the, of the Cleveland's um, um, it's the same font of the, the, the Cleveland logo and name, or what it was. They're, the, they're now the Guardians. They aren't the, the Indians anymore. But we've had, we've had success here. And in, one of the things that becomes obvious when we're fighting this mascot fight is how deeply entrenched racism is. And, I, you know, and I talk, when I talk about racism... I have to talk about it in terms of its systemic nature. The fact that racism is embedded. It's embedded in schools. In, in, and, not just, and it isn't even just the ones with mascots. We are taught as a period of history. I talked about this last week, and I've talked about this in the past. We are taught as a period of history that came and went. Yet we're still here. Those, you know, I, I, I've heard people say, well, well, if you get rid of those mascots, aren't you erasing you know, native people from American consciousness? No, the mascots do that. They cast us as these buffoonish, cartoonish relics of the past. None of those logos represent who we are. Even if you could argue that they represented some authentic image of what a native person looked like at one time, that one time isn't now. So you're teaching generations of kids that that's what an Indian is. You know, as, as I've posted some of this stuff in some of the other towns that have native logos in their schools, I had, you know, multiple people say, well, you don't look very native. Of course not. I don't look like the logo on your football helmet. I had people asking me about, well, what percentage are you? Are you really this? Are you really that? I mean, look, they could check my profile on Facebook if they wanted to. Just, oh, you look like a white man. So I got white people telling me how white I look because they have already, because of their education, a preconceived notion about what a native person must look like to, to, to meet their muster. And, you know, and, and as they're asking these questions, they, they can't even see their own bigotry as they're, as, as they're challenging this stuff. Like I said, more, what's even more racist than these race-based mascots, these native mascots, is the response you get from white people. Look, when I was fighting this in other schools, including the one here local in, uh, in the Buffalo area, I was physically threatened. I had, you know, I, I didn't even know it till because I had a bunch of um, messages somehow landed in one of these um, boxes in, on Facebook that I didn't even know existed. And I, I found it like six or seven months after the fact, you know, somebody threatening to, you know, to harm me. Yeah, I, and, and, and again, I, I know I brought this up on the show in the past, but Cambridge is where, if you recall, I mentioned the other day or a couple of weeks ago that a, um, um, a Cambridge resident raised the issue about wanting to scalp me. He says, can I just scalp Kane? The funny thing is, that I and a few others, we, we reported that comment to Facebook, and Facebook said, 
that that comment didn't violate their community standards. So a white man threatening to kill somebody by scalping them, a native person, so using a, a racist means for killing somebody doesn't violate Facebook's community standards. I mean, I mean, it's almost laughable. You know, because I've had stuff removed, you know, that, that I put up. They say, oh, you, what you, you're posting uh, violated community standards. I never threatened to kill anybody. And, I, and I'm going to tell you this. And, and I'm not, again, I'm not trying to compete against black people about in the, the so-called oppression Olympics. But I guarantee that if a white man had posted some inference about lynching a black man, that comment would have been gone. Their algorithms would have picked it up. It, didn't, it wouldn't have needed to be reported. It would have been picked up all by itself because lynching is probably got a red flag associated with it. But scalping doesn't. How could it? you got cheerleaders talking about scalping folks. You've got the tomahawk chop, which is emblematic of scalping people or bludgeoning somebody to death. So scalping is fun. It's, it's like a haircut. No, it isn't. It's murder. It's, it's proof of a kill so you could submit the scalp for bounty. That's if you don't have some fetish to keep the scalp yourself. So the level of absurdity that we get confronted with in, in terms of the comments on social media, but even in, in a town like Cambridge, the school board, since, since the day I showed up in, at, at a school board meeting, asking very politely for them to retire the mascot. And, and again, not saying you, you had to strike it immediately, but you, you, need, you need to address getting rid of it. But from the moment I showed up in the fall of, uh, of 2020, that town was on its end. It, it, was, it, it was flipped. And, and it's crazy. And I got to, again, I, I've got to applaud the people in Cambridge who not only filed their, their petition with, uh, with uh, the Department of Education, but who continued to advocate and support the removal of that mascot. And, 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 you know, I have to say this because they live there. Look, it's easy for me to jump in a car and drive six hours, cause a dust up and then turn around and head home. Yeah, somebody's going to leave me some lousy messages on Facebook. That doesn't hurt. But there are people who live there who, I mean, look, the graduation is, um, is, is essentially uh, this Friday, right? Today, yeah. So graduate, there's some fear that the pro-mascot folks are going to disrupt the graduation. This class had nothing to do. In fact, the, st the students had nothing to do with the debate. They were excluded totally from, you know, and this was the school board's decision. This wasn't going to be discussed in class. It wasn't going to be discussed in social studies, even though this is a social justice issue. The students were almost completely removed from this. You know, I'm not saying there was no dialogue. I mean, they weren't prohibited from having uh, dialogue. But there was no part of the school activity that encouraged the students to get involved in this debate. So this class had nothing to do, certainly not new, nothing to do with the, with the court ruling or the decision that this, the board made to, to even get involved in this stuff. No, none of that stuff. And yet this graduating class, this class of uh, 2022, is concerned that, that their, uh, their graduation could be disrupted. And 
I heard some sense, uh, some fear that because a couple of the students who are graduating, their parents have been outspoken, that they, that they may, you know, see a demonstration against them. So I got to applaud the families who, who have, who, I mean, look, because it's not, it's not for nothing. I mean, you, there's a real danger. There's a real hostility. You know, when we talk about racism, it isn't just hate and violence, but it is hate and violence too. And this mascot debate, it really does ignite the hatred. It really does ignite the potential for violence, just like they saw in their so-called healing circle. But for now, the fight is over. Cambridge is done. They lost their appeal. And I hope they can gain some of the appeal or the allure of their, their town back because they've lost a lot. That's my show. I'm John Kane, and this is Resistance Radio. Yahweh.